After the wacky hijinks with the Wolverine in the dumpster, you decide to unwind by heading to the school cafeteria. There, you run into Scott and Miranda having a conversation. Hey there, Miranda. Didn't you say you had something going on this weekend? Oh, mother. I'm not going to be able to have much fun this weekend. Daddy says we have to deal with the surf uprising. Wow, so you and your dad are going surfing this weekend? That sounds like a lot of fun, though. Uh, I would expect a peasant to say something like that. No, it's surfs. The people that live under my boot heel. You understand? Oh, of course. The boot people. Right. I understand. Scott did not understand. You hope to get a word in edgewise, but Miranda cuts you off before you can say anything. It's gonna be such a bother. I mean, we're gonna have to get the cannonballs out and huck them at the villagers' huts and probably slaughter a few serfs along the way, you know, just to set an example to the others. You try to cut in again, but before you do, Scott breaks into a enthusiastic monologue. Well, Miranda, I would love to come help you with your peasant uprising or whatever, but it's going to be a full moon this weekend, and last time there was a full moon, me and my team ended up invading Constantinople. It was a huge mess, especially when we tried to bring the trebuchets into the football team. Apparently it's against the rules. You probably think it's crazy that anything is against the rules at this school, but there is actually a bylaw in the football handbook that says you cannot have a siege weapon that launches 50 kilogram stones over 300 meters. Some rules have to be respected. Oh, Sai, who could ever help me with this problem? Won't anyone come to my rescue? Yeah, and we still need one more person to flank for the siege. Now's your big opportunity. Which of these two absolute sociopathic lunatics will you try to woo for the monster prom? Hello, fantasy fans, and welcome to Swords and Satire, the podcast where we turn low fantasy into high art. I'm your dungeon manager, Jamie Molkel, here with my monstrous but highly fashionable co-hosts. <laughs> I'm Chelsea Hollowell, a vampire that's just looking to get sucked dry on prom night, if you know what I mean. Like blood? Sure, we'll go with blood. Great! <laughs> <laughs> oh, I get it. I think blood is what people would normally think, right? We'll just go with that. <laughs> Fair enough. And while not reading too much further into it, I wish you luck. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> but who am I? I'm Jack Olander, a bladeless Dyson fan. Possessed... <laughs> Possessed by the thousand dead samurai from the Shinsengumi army. Nice. That's right. <laughs> to so, understand that reference, you're going to have to delve into the outtakes later on. <laughs> that's right. That means everything we do is a group thing. Because ah, there's a thousand of us. Right. Well, that's nice. Cooperation's great. And you know what they say. Bladeless fan in the streets. 
bladed fan in the sheets. Ow! That sounds horrible. <laughs> if, you know, if you're into it, you're into it. That's true. <laughs> we don't want to yuck anybody's yum. No, not at all. Well, guys, I wanted to say happy Pride Month. Yeah, happy Pride Month, everyone. Yeah. We have been racking our brains trying to come up with awesome LGBTQ plus movies and stuff to talk about. And while there's tons of fantasy films with subtext, we were trying to find stuff that had a little bit more active text. (laughs) (laughs) Something more overt. There's a lot of fantasy shows. I guess overtext is what I was going for. (laughs) You know, queer themed fantasy shows. It was harder to find movies. Yeah. So I had a crazy idea and I figured let's do something a little bit different this week. And instead of talking about a movie, which is our normal thing, we would talk about a video game. Yeah. Because all three of us also fucking love video games. Kind of gamers. <laughs> <laughs> I don't identify that way, but fair enough. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> Assigned gamer at birth. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so this week we're going to be talking about a romantic dating sim yeah. called Monster Prom, which is a fantastical monster dating sim. And while you might think that it's high school students, they are, but they're all over 18 years old. That's right. So <laughs> it is completely appropriate. Right. It is a game about a monster high school prom with characters that I believe started about 19. So everything is above board. <laughs> Especially since you can find lewds. Yes. Yes. Above board and below the belt. True. <laughs> yeah. Also, these characters talk about fucking all the time. Mm-hmm. Just constantly. Just constantly so fucking. it's just less awkward for you as the, you know, player. <laughs> Honestly, I'm totally okay with it because last night Chelsea and I started watching an anime called Food Wars, which is yes. really fun and insane. And also... There is no reason why it could not have been a college, but instead, these characters are middle schoolers with, like, female characters with double D breasts and, yeah. like, incredibly inappropriate sexual scenarios. I'm like, why Why couldn't, why didn't we just make this a college anime? There's cooking schools for college-age students, right? I know. Yes. It's true. Now, in Japan, you have to be exceptional right out the womb. I mean, sure. It kind of seems like it based on the show. But anyways, that's enough for that side tangent. So anyways, why don't we do a quick summary of the story of Monster Prom? (laughs) And we'll do it a little bit differently this week because it doesn't follow the traditional narrative, like uh, singular narrative of a film. So we're going to do the summary a little bit differently. So let's get to that. Okay, so Monster Prom is a dating sim video game with multiplayer capacity. We played it all in the fine tradition of couch co-op. Yeah. And we chose to play with a single controller that we passed around uh, the room on our turns. I thought that was fun. It kind of plays out like a video game board game. You get to pick your character. You answer a 
Cosmo-style set of questions to give yourself some stat bumps. I thought that was fun and trashy. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And then you make your character and you enter Spooky High School, which is where your zombie or fire genie or Frankenstein's monster or whatever character carry out their lives and try to woo one of the six most popular legal-aged characters <laughs> in the game. Students. I think, I think they're specifically Students, yes. one of six most charismatic classmates. That's right. Yeah. So you've got Damien, the devil man, Liam, the hipster vampire, Miranda, the fish merwoman princess. Yeah. Polly, the party ghost. Scott, the werewolf jock. And Vera, the Medusa or Gorgon posh socialite. Yeah. Yes. Those are the characters you're trying to woo. You get to pick between uh, one of four player characters. And so we each picked one of these four characters that we played out our high school our legal date, <laughs> legal age high school romances with. Yeah. Yeah, just for context, some of these characters who are students of Spooky High School, like Liam the Vampire is 400-something years old. True. And the player character, Oz, is older than time itself. So, you know, high school is a lot more voluntary, I feel. I didn't realize Oz was that old. <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't know it. <laughs> yeah, the game has very big vibes of, I would say, like, a afterlife high school, but it's I guess it's not really. It's definitely in a wild fantasy setting with ghosts, goblins, demons, ghouls. It's all kind that of like the stuff. monster dimension. <laughs> it kind of is like the monster dimension, yeah. So, so things work differently there. <laughs> exactly. It seems like there are humans, but only in unconventional ways. Right. Like there is a monster hunter character that seems to be a human. True. Yeah. That's true, I think. <laughs> Anyways, the game is played out in a series of turns. You have three weeks to get your crush's attention and sow the seeds for later sowing your oats. <laughs> and each week is played out over three kind of sub-turns that are, I think, morning, afternoon, and evening, roughly. Yeah. So basically you get nine rounds and then the final round is the monster problem where you get to ask your crush on a date and see if you get all the way around the bases or if you strike out in yeah. the beginning at the end. <laughs> in a very embarrassing, shameful way. Yeah, thanks, Jack. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Anyways, so the gameplay plays out in these turns, like I said. Most of it is choosing where you will go in any given day or time. So, for example, on the first morning, you might go to the library or the bathroom or go to the outdoors and you'll get a different stat bump from a little narrative event. Then some characters will show up and you'll interact with them. Hopefully it's one of the ones you're trying to woo. If not, it's going to be one of the ones that you will probably need to try to woo because you have limited days to get to know these characters. That's like the first and the third round are like that. The middle lunch round, you actually have to choose where to go at different tables with random selections of the popular kids. And sometimes you might, you know, you go in turn order. So whoever gets to pick first 
might go to the table with Scott and Miranda, and that blocks player two from going to that table. Yeah. So anyways, yeah, you go through a selection of dialogue choices. You have stats like boldness and coolness and creativity and money. Charisma. Fun. Fun is a stat, (laughs) yeah. And then in between rounds, there's a way to pick who gets to go first of the players in the next round by saying a name or a food or an occupation. an occupation and everyone picks one and then the game gives a prompt like if you say everyone's supposed to pick a food it'll say whose answer would be the grossest to go on a pizza yeah and then the group decides your turn order for the next session or day based on those answers exactly So that's kind of the general gameplay loop. You go around, you do these nine rounds of socializing and stat bumping until you get to the monster prom. And then you hope that, like I said, you can hit a home run. I'm going to use a baseball metaphor. Okay. You're going to, you're going to get a touchdown. (laughs) You're going to score a goal. You're going to be nothing but net. You're going to get an ace in your hole. Thank you. I understand what these are through cultural osmosis. (laughs) Great. Yes. So I thought it'd be fun if each of us kind of told a brief version of our character's arc, who we played as, and then what their story was in our game, because there are thousands of potential outcomes in this game. And this is going to be a special side segment for this episode only called Story Time. Yay! Yay! Hit that Story Time music. All right, Chelsea, why don't you tell us about your character's journey first? Oh, you're starting with the best first. How are you guys going to follow this up? I'm going to muddle through. It's impossible. (laughs) (laughs) Big mistake. (laughs) So (laughs) I played as Yellow, or also known as Oz. We uh, had a little whoopsie um, (laughs) when we were picking (laughs) all of our characters um, who we're going to play as. We just went with their <laughs> first names. We didn't realize you could click in and pick like an actual name and not have to go with their color. I started by making the first mistake because I played the red character, Amira, and I was selecting my character first and it just said name red. I was like, oh, that's probably the character's actual canon name because she's like a fire genie and she wears red. And then we got to Jack's character who was named Green. I was like, oh, that's a name somebody could have. <laughs> okay. We got to mine. It was yellow. I was like, fuck, we made a big mistake. Yeah, yeah. Funny. So the characters that have canon names. Yeah. So the name for yellow is Oz. On the surface, Oz looks kind of like a bookish, cute, adorable nerd. Whose face is made completely of shadows. Yeah. So, and you know, basically is- every nerd you've ever met. <laughs> Face and body. <laughs> yeah. And the shadows kind of help them and are like little dudes on their shoulders. I went with they, them pronouns. Right. You have to pick your pronouns in this game. Which is cool. There's only three options, but it's a pretty good set. Oz is canon non-binary as well. Nice. Oh, cool. I just kind of figured. So yeah. that works. And um, They're a know- shadow entity older than time itself. Well. Older than gender. I'll tell you that one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. it's true. Yeah. While three pronouns is nowhere near exhaustive, 
it is better than only two. Yeah. So you have that. Um, so I was kind of thinking, you know, Oz is getting a little bit fed up, a little frustrated with the identity that they have cultivated throughout their kind of high school career. Yeah. <laughs> They've been kind of pigeonholed as the smart guy. Again, remember, legal age high school career. Exactly. Um, <laughs> and so they really want to change things up, and they have been having this secret crush on Damien for years, and they don't understand how to, like, get his attention and so they just start kind of acting out in different ways to and trying to hang out where they know Damien goes right. to try to get his attention. This was my headcanon. I didn't tell Jamie or Jack at all while we were playing. It, it translated through your choices you were making in it's the game. It's true. My, you were dedicated. Yeah, I went for the bold choice every single time I could. And my bold stat, I, we forgot to say that was one of the stats. My bold stat was the highest we could have, I think it was like an, it was a 19. Yeah. I think it could go higher, bold. but it was the highest out of the group. I think you raised it by like 10 throughout the game. Yeah. I got serious boldness points. More. You raised it by like 12. <laughs> I know. And like, dude, my, you could have high stats in multiple qualities, but um, my next highest one was 11 in smarts, which is kind of middling. So... I was like seriously dedicated. Um, go bold or go home. I was like, where would a rebel like Damien go? I just knew instinctually from watching all of these school dramas and like fantastical trash, go to the restrooms. He's not going to be in class. He's a rebel. He's going to be smoking in the bathroom. And yes. so I went in like there. Like that classic song, Smoking in the Bathroom. <laughs> Token where the people are pooping. That's, uh, that's the song. So, yeah, I went in there and lo and behold, there he was. And <laughs> all of his denim dripped satanic glory. So and I followed the guy I liked into his bathroom. <laughs> I don't even remember my choices. I just picked the craziest thing because I knew he would appreciate that. Every time I picked the crazy chaotic move, like just like stealing gravestones or something like that, whatever seemed like the crazy chaotic move. I do remember at one point when I went to the library, Damien was arguing with a banana. <laughs> yes. And um, I was like, the bold move would be to eat the banana. <laughs> so and that started a cascade of events. Yeah. So I ate the banana. I was like, he'll love this. And he was so pissed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This is when Damien decided that he wants to fight Oz to the death. I was seriously sweating bullets at this point. I was like, no, this whole time I've been getting him to like me. I was getting the little Damien heart face when I was choosing my other choices. I was like, no, what did I do? Because he threatened me and wanted to fight me on prom night. I was like, what? What's happening? And I was like, no, I'll just, I, I gotta have faith. So the next time we had lunch, I tried to sit with him and he yelled at me to go away. Like, what the fuck was I doing? And I actually felt shame and embarrassment in real life. Yes, <laughs> it really is high school all over again. This game perfectly captures high school. What have I done? <laughs> 
And so I like sat in the game in the corner, but also in my mind. (laughs) (laughs) Just sadly ate by myself, wishing I was dead. And then (laughs) I stuck with my boldness. And when it came time to ask somebody to prom, I still asked him. (laughs) Yes. Well, it was great. The dialogue was good because Damien had been like, oh, yeah, like we're going to fight at prom. It's going to be epic. Like. Everybody in the school knew about it. They yeah. were, what was it, like the prom war? Yeah. Like everyone was preparing for this. They were selling tickets. So when Oz, <laughs> when Chelsea's character Oz went to be like, hey, Damien, like, do you want to be my date to prom? Damien's like, yeah, we got a date at prom. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to kick your ass. <laughs> like, but still a date. Yeah, he didn't deny it. He said it was a date. He said it was a date. Yeah. And I was like, ooh, maybe something is going to happen here. We go to the prom. It is a fight. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we are kicking the shit out of each other. I learned how to fight from... Um, Vera. Vera. And I had enough money to pay her. So that was cool. And so I was actually able to hold my own in the fight. And then it turned into making out. And then it turned into something more. Yeah. Something more violent and passionate. That's right. Hot sex with the devil man, uh, between a devil man and a shadow person. That is ageless beyond time. In the bathroom. Yes. (laughs) So, listeners, you can already tell this game is the greatest game of all time. Yeah. Busting it down sexual style in the stinky room. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like you do. Yes. Yeah, where else are you going to do it? So... Chelsea, that was an epic prom date you had in Monster Prom. Jack, why don't you tell us about yours? Well, I was playing uh, Green, or as he's more canon known, Brian, the zombie zombie boy. Big buff zombie Zomboy. Zomman. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. And uh, that zomboy has become a zomman. That's right. From the beginning, I set my sights on uh, lovable himbo werewolf. Scott. Oh. Who else? I mean, what a dreamboat. Everybody loves Scott. He's a wholesome lumberjack football werewolf man. <laughs> and uh, in our story arc, he, well, on a stroll through the woods, befriended a lot of woodland creatures. That's right. Yes, cute little woodland creatures. Uh huh. Furry. Woodland creatures. That's right. They're big woodland creatures with big heads that were brightly colored and could talk like people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, so. Furry creatures. Despite a lot of people spreading fake news, trying to convince my Scott. <laughs> that these were furries, uh, which of course they were, because that's what Scott named them. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I made sure that he knew that he was actually their ruler yeah. because they appointed him their king and drew many nudie pics of Scott. Yes. Yeah. Generously proportioned, as Scott said. Unrealistically generous. <laughs> <laughs> but Scott appreciated that. Scott did appreciate And so did that. your character, Brian. That's right. And so through a series of, uh, you know, us bonding, I was impressing Scott through uh, being more supportive than his football team members, which he appreciated, supporting his rulership. He wasn't sure he had what it took to be a good king to the furries, but I told him that all it takes to be a good king is to be strong. Physically. Yes. (laughs) Physically strong. That really resonated with Scott. Yes. He's like, oh, I didn't know... 
Strong ruler meant actually physically strong. That's right. Perfect. And while I did blunder catching a football at one point, I kind of mangled a nerdy kid. Oh, no. But, uh, you know. <laughs> it was Liam, wasn't it? The vampire. It was Liam. <laughs> and uh, But that's okay, because Scott was still into it the whole time. True. And uh, But when it came around time to asking him to prom, uh, well, he actually turned me down. That was very sad. He turned me down because he took being the king of the furries so seriously, even after he knocked the head off a furry and revealed that it was a man inside, I told him he just broke the curse on a prince. And Scott was familiar with those kind of tales. That's right. So we all got along. You preserve Scott's innocence. That's right. So no, his royalty. That's right. But also, you know, boo royalty. He was sad about turning you down because he wanted to go with you. It's true, but he was putting his responsibility... Before his own wants, realizing that, you know, sometimes the wanting of the individual is, can be less important than the furry community. But in some ways, you got an even better ending than what you were hoping for. That's right, because I became Scott's number two, and not his poop, <laughs> but his right-hand person. His confidant. And as his right-hand person, you're going to be busy. That's right. And the narrative said you ruled with him over the furry kingdom for many years. So. That's exactly right. And it denoted that the furries drew a lot of generous art of the two of us together intimately. And that yes. Scott and I had many not safe for work interactions Yes. through our partnership. And after the credits, there was a Polaroid of us playing football together. And it said we always have each other's butts. Yes. Aww. Tale as old as time. That's yeah. right. So I think that even though we were going after a date for prom, you got an even greater prize of a, a beautiful life with a, your partner. I got to be a uh, himbo concubine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the dream. Yeah. yeah. Well, guys, you both had really successful <laughs> dates. I mean, yeah. Jack's character didn't necessarily get to go to prom with his preferred partner but ended up with that life that long life my character amira was not so lucky so i decided early on with my character's career that i was going to pursue miranda the fish princess right and i really should have known better i really should have known better right me jamie of all people pursuing royalty i was already trying to role play against type and I can now see that that was a huge mistake on my part. Yes. I, I followed my first idea for this character instead of following my heart. And my heart was there all along. Polly, the ghost girl, was always there. She kept showing up. She kept showing up. And I kept trying to pursue this pointless relationship with a fish monarch who wanted to like abuse her serfs and mistreat the people and was callous about the lives of others. What the fuck? I never yes. really got the thread. Everywhere I went, I was I was every choice I made, I didn't have the right stats to pursue the relationship with Miranda. I at one point decided to go to the cat girl storekeeper, shopkeeper and purchase something. I ended up purchasing a corpse. 
because I thought it was just a weird option. And then, like, a bunch of the high school bullies came and made fun of me for carrying around a corpse. Yeah. <laughs> I had to convince them it was a fashion accessory. That's right. I think I wore the head on my head or something. Talk about the tolerant left. <laughs> I put a Burger Queen patch on the corpse and tried to make it, like, a corporate branding thing. My character was all over the place. A total non-Jamie type, which is what I was going for. But, again, clearly... Big mistake on my part. You tried to rip a logo off to make it look like it was a name brand corpse. Yeah. But because you spent all your money on the corpse, you were too poor to have expensive <laughs> brands. That's right. And Burger Queen was the only thing you had. <laughs> so it's kind of sad because it's like one of those 80s high school movies where the person that's right for you is there all along, but you yes. don't see them. A, a completely fake and made up experience that I have never actually had in real life. Yeah. <laughs> I did have one highlight. It was my character arc though. Yeah. And that was when I helped Miranda have Mr. Slenderman fired from his job oh as a God. teacher because of all those inappropriate pictures he had with young people. That's right. Yeah, just stalking families and children in the background of photos. And one of the ways I was able to do that was having the uh, school security Google Slenderman with children. The faculty did not like those pictures. No. No. They said, yeah, the dialogue said the principal thought it was very not cool. Yes, that's right. <laughs> But I also got to jam out to Butts, Butts, Butts by the Booty Bros. So yes. I had a few highlights. Yeah. And Jamie, tell us what happened in the end when you went to ask the wrong person to the prom. I mean, Miranda. Oh, uh, it was heartbreaking. I went to go ask Miranda to the prom and she basically said, oh, no, I have a date with that person over there. And just picked a random person to go to the prom with. That was devastating. Yeah. Yeah, your character had little X's for eyes in the background. I was dead. Yeah, dead. <laughs> you went you went and joined like a colony of people who didn't get dates to monster prom. That sounds right, yeah. 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 And you know, this was an important lesson for me as a gamer and as a person. Yes. Always works. reject the monarchy and authority. Become ungovernable. Thank you. I think everybody in this game has, uh, like, internalized that. Not yes. Miranda Serfs. So, yeah. <laughs> so if this were an 80s movie, your narrative, Jamie, as your character, uh, Amira? Amira, yeah. Or Red. What would Red happen? actually makes sense for her name, too. What would happen after this rejection is, like, you would go to the local ice cream shop or a cafe or something, and... Person, so Polly, yes. who had been crushing on you, would be there, and you would like end up hanging out and having a good time and like going on an impromptu date and then realizing you were meant to be together. That's right. Mm -hmm. So that's my headcanon for what happened next. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> and then Chelsea and I kissed. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So those were our story arcs for our playthrough. Like I said, there are. Hundreds of endings, or yes. there's dozens of endings, hundreds of interactions in this game. There's over a thousand possible different unique, like, events. scenarios and events. I think we got, like, 30 interactions. Yeah. Oh, we also had some random events happen to our characters. Yeah. Uh, there was a game night with all of our crushes. 
Right. There was an opportunity to either sabotage one another or to talk up someone to their crush. I'm pretty sure that Scott came to my character and asked if I thought um, Brian, Jack's character, would support Scott's ascent to furry monarchy. (laughs) And being a good friend, I said, yes, I think absolutely Brian would totally be game for that. Yes. Again, I was playing a very off-type character for myself. Yes. Brian, uh, Scott was deciding whether or not he could have affections for Brian and admire a pickle that he especially right. liked. <laughs> Thank you. you. You helped tell him that he could date Brian and appreciate the pickle yeah. without having to eat it. Yeah. He was like, I don't even have to have this inside me. It can be outside of me. <laughs> you yes. can have your pickle and not eat it too. Yes. And also you can have Brian's pickle. Yes, exactly. By right. which I mean penis. Right. It is green. Yeah, I was. I actually thought yeah. it was kind of appropriate that you with the zombie character who's green and then the pickle that Scott was also admiring. Clearly Scott has a thing for green in this. There was something there. Scott yeah. couldn't make that connection. No, but, but I could. did. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I thought you were going to say green penises, because that would also fit. Sure. Yes, Yeah. exactly, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, that was our story arcs. We should head into the delve. Welcome to the delve, where we venture deep into the themes, scenes, and lore of Monster Prom. So guys, we've never really done a video game before as our main discussion for the show. Obviously, it's a little bit different than a traditional film or television show because we had a lot more control over how things played out. Even though they're pre-scripted events, we were making choices, we were getting to develop our characters, and there was elements of randomness and luck and stat choices that we had that played into our outcomes. Yeah, this game was all about building relationships with our fellow classmates of consenting age. And (laughs) it was all like through chaos (laughs) and the most important element, basically manipulation, because really like. It's hard to have a stable personality as your player character because what you're really trying to do is win over your crush. Right. So you kind of say whatever you need to say <laughs> out of your dialogue <laughs> options to just to please them. So you don't really have much of a personality yourself. <laughs> I mean, the same could be said of many people trying to woo others. Your personality is desperate and malleable. <laughs> <laughs> You're kind of a yes person. You change like the tides. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I did get... Jamie and I did play again after our main playthrough as a group. And I got an achievement that time about being true to yourself. And I ended up like always choosing options to woo Miranda that time that played to my strengths. My stat strengths. Which was sm- smarts in that run. Right. And, um, Chelsea always picking the smart option <laughs> that ended up feeling a little bit more like my character had some kind of a stable personality. 
But that's fair. in the first playthrough, it just felt very chaotic. And I think that's the norm for the game. Well, I mean, this is a game where Mrs. The Loch Ness Monster <laughs> and Principal Giant Spider are constantly at odds with the students and their drives and desires. Yeah. So. <laughs> the game, I think, is a real celebration of life type game. Right. Because the premise of it, it starts out and ends with saying we were young and unafraid. Right. right. That's like true. Like you're reminiscing on better times, kind of. Right. And Yeah, it is kind of like nostalgia. Yeah. And it, it has a big focus on reveling in chaos and amorality. Right? <laughs> yes, living in the moment. Exactly. Uh, living in the moment. Finding freedom through the chaos, and also, like, psychopathy. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, yeah. so, I mean, that that's part of the element of humor, right? And yeah. A lot of the humor in this game is based on the completely insane premise of Monster High School, right? Yes. And, yeah. and, like, it's fun and really funny, and it is chaotic and crazy and... Like, you do insane things, like buy a corpse and carry it around at class. And nobody's, you know, these are devil men and vampires and stuff. Nobody's freaked out that my character was carrying around a corpse. They just think it was gauche. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they thought I was tacky for having a corpse. Yeah. The worst thing in this game is not, like, acts of violence. Because... No. That it's quite frequent. These yeah. people are violent individuals. The worst thing that could happen is people are like, you know, you're lame. You're yeah. Like, Fuck. No. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not lame. I can't I'm so be. cool. Look at my coolness stat. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> like, there, there are characters with, like, predatory business techniques. There are characters Ooh. that are like, yeah. But it's, like, viewed as a good thing. There's it's just like, kind of normalized in this world. Like we said, it's kind of like an alternate monster dimension. Yeah, there's, like, monarchy assassinations that, Yay. that Vera does. If you go to the library, you spend part of your time just sending scam emails to people hoping to dupe them out of their money. And that's, like, just kind of played off as, like, whatever, it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> It's just like, isn't it so silly that you did that? It's like, oh my god. <laughs> yes. And it's like those idiots giving you money. Yeah. <laughs> so we've got some social commentary, right? We've got some real world themes that pop up throughout the gameplay and the narrative and everything. But one of the interesting things, and I'd say the reason we picked this game to talk about for Pride Month is that it is, for one... All relationships are acceptable and normative, and nobody ever has a problem with who you're dating because of who you are. Right. Right? Like, you get to create your character, get to pick their pronouns, you get to pursue any love interest with no walls. Right. A lot of video games that portray relationships, let's say that there are non-heterosexual relationship options, you might have a very limited pool. You have a very limited pool of any relationship options. Right. In this game, you are, it is very much about the relationships, and there are no walls other than what options you're presented based on your personality and your stats and everything. Yeah, I was going to say, the only barrier is your own personality and shitty decision-making. <laughs> um, 
a great metaphor for real life, too. Yeah. <laughs> but um, if those barriers are erected, you can always try to pursue somebody else. You do have time. Yeah. To do that. But there's um, no prescripted, like, this character, Amira, can only pursue the cis male characters, right? No, yeah. Or, or my character is, is canon a lesbian and can only pursue those relationships. You can pursue anybody you want, and you can split your time between different people yeah. if you want. If you want to have the options. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I was excited to try this out because I knew that there were um, player characters of different gender identities and that you're open to pursuing any identity you want to portray with your character. And yeah, the openness of the like relationships you can form feels very freeing you know uh it's not marginalized it's in fact it's normalized as just anybody can be into anyone and it's not deviant right yeah hopefully we can ascend to monster prom version of relationships like that at some point i was gonna say there's tons of deviancy in the game but it's not the relationship right <laughs> And that is where I think that this game does a really good job of addressing what I would have said otherwise would be the demonic elephant in the room of, oh, so this is a game with where, you know, queer relationships are normalized, but everyone's a sociopathic monster. But that's not really what's happening here, right? The characters are what they are for the humor element, but the relationship elements are not what are being mocked or made fun of. Yeah. It's not like, oh, like, you can have these queer romances in a game with devils and vampires and stuff because, you know, we're making an allegory about queerness being related to monstrousness. Like, no, every character is something different and unique in this setting and they all just have the ability to fall in love with anybody. Yeah, that's right. They're not monsters because they're queer characters or whatever. They are monstrous characters building on archetypes from traditional monster media because this is a love letter to horror in a lot of ways yes and like high school drama and stuff and then the relationships feel very normalized in the context of the crazy plot and storytelling yeah and like we've pointed out about other fantasy media like movies and shows it's creates a great atmosphere or imaginal space for playing around with uh, our own ideas in our, you know, culture or whatever culture is influencing that piece of media about what we take for granted in our culture, like gender roles right, or, or class structure and other such cultural norms. And this is a game where the story of the game very much has those roles in position, right? Miranda is a literal underwater princess who hates poor people and has subjects. Vera is like an upper crust Medusa who looks down on other people. But, you know, other characters like Scott, the lovable jock, kind of transcends that, right? He's the character who would typically probably be portrayed as a bully in a lot of yeah. like, 80s high school movies. He's Probably the sweetest of the six yeah. romance options. Definitely is. Besides Polly, maybe. 
I mean, but they're just different. I mean, Polly, I don't know if she's sweet. Polly is the ghost character who is just a uber party girl. Just but like she's inclusive and yeah. friendly. True. She has an enthusiasm. Yes. Yeah. And she is thirsty as fuck. Yeah. <laughs> she she's clearly the best girl of this game. <laughs> as in a lot of I've seen a lot of people play this. She's definitely the most contended student. Yeah, it seems like they've even added lines of dialogue about her being the fan favorite in the game in my second playthrough, I noticed. Really? Yeah. That's funny. She does admit, we were talking about humans before in the setting, she does admit that she used to be a human. Right. She's now a ghost. Yeah. There are also witches, I remembered as well. Yes. There's a coven of three witches who speak in unison. Yes. We didn't meet them on our playthrough that we played together. That's right. However, the head witch is romanceable in the second game. Amazing. And so is the hunter. Oh. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. So there's at least two humans. Right. And, you know, we haven't talked about another, unfortunately, royal character, the interdimensional prince, who's kind of a random character you can meet in the lunchroom. That's true. If your other options for who, which table you want to sit at and who you want to sit with are all taken, you can kind of take the chaos option, which is really saying something in this game, and get basically a completely random event and unpredictable stat bumps by interacting with the interdimensional prince. But they're usually like easy choices and you get a pretty generous stat bump for whatever it is. But yeah, it, it's kind of fun to choose the chaos option sometimes. And that is an element of the gameplay mechanics, right? Because at the end of the day, this is a game. It is broadly a competitive game in some regards. It's not like one ending doesn't preclude, like if you get a date to the monster prom, that doesn't necessarily mean that nobody else does. But there are kind of these game choices where the first player gets the prime pick of which table to sit at at lunch, right? Mm -hmm. Or which event to do if they want a particular stat bump, they might want to go to one of the, uh, I think it's six class options or event options. Locations. Locations, yeah. And if you, just like when you sit at a table in the cafeteria, if you choose a location at the school, like we mentioned, that does keep other players from going there that day. Yeah, so there's a little bit of blocking, and I think that the most player interaction kind of happens with those choices. I guess really the only player interaction. The random events. The random events are are important too. Yeah. Because that's where you... I've in my experience I've seen you have a chance to either hurt one of your ally or one of your fellow players standing with their their crush or to give them a little boost. Yeah. And it seems like when you give a boost to somebody like when Scott came to my character and asked about Jack's character Brian and I said, "Oh yeah, Brian would be a good partner for you and you don't have to choose between Brian and the pickle." I actually <laughs> got a stat bump for free, I was pretty generous. I think like a three-point stat bump for being nice. I don't know what would have happened if I had and, been a dick and been like, no, don't date Brian. And Jack also got a stat bump of Scott liking his character more. Yeah. yeah. So there is an interesting competitiveness and non-competitiveness, right? Because everyone could hypothetically get their date, but some choices are going to block other people. 
Mm-hmm. So that's why I was making the point with the interdimensional prince option in the cafeteria. It is a place you can go when all your other choices have been used by other players. And in yeah. a bigger game, it probably gets harder, especially for like the fourth player in a four player game. They might be missing out their opportunity to sit with their crushes. And um, there's actually multiple like chaos options because there's the prince and there's also, I don't know about every time, but pretty often you can also sit with um, the, the monster, monster hunter. hunter, the coach yeah. who we've never interacted with yet, mm-hmm. the shop, the cat girl store owner. Yeah. So you do have options of like places to go and you don't like have to randomly sit at some other table if you don't want to. Yeah. But so where I'm getting with this is that this game provides an opportunity for something that we don't get to talk about much on this show because we talk about movies and shows, but it's actually an element of it. And that is emergent narrative. Right. So emergent narrative is a, usually a game study concept about the story that comes out through the choices you make in a game, even when there's no story implied in it. So in Monster Prom, you've got a lot of narrative. So there's a mix between traditional narrative, pre-scripted events that are like dialogue that the writer of the game wrote, and then the elements of randomness that create its own story. Right. Like my character was having a lot of bad luck. And one of the reasons that was happening was that a lot of times... When I was the last person to get to take a turn, the person I wanted to talk to was sitting at a table with somebody that one of you guys wanted to talk to. Yeah, they so, do that where they like make it a hard choice for you. Yeah. So like if Chelsea's love interest of Damien was sitting at a table with my love interest, Miranda, and Chelsea was the first to get the pick, I would kind of have to make a choice that put my character in a different trajectory and gave me a different series of events to choose from, such as meeting the international, international, the interdimensional prince, and then solving his riddle, and then listening to butts, butts, butts by the beauty booty boys. Yeah. But so that's an event that wouldn't have happened otherwise, because I probably would have gone and sat with Miranda. So this randomness kind of lets different versions of the story play out. Yes. And there are a lot of options for that, too. There are many different endings, and we've only gotten a few of them. Yes. You do kind of have your headcanon that drives your choices as your character and, like, who you're pursuing. And and that's part of emergent narrative, too. Right. But so my point earlier about something that we do in our discussions of movies and stuff, we kind of touch on emergent narrative sometimes when we have those headcanon ideas, right? When we are pulling themes out of a movie that maybe weren't intentionally placed by directors and actors and stuff, but you can read into them. That's kind of a related thing where we as consumers of media aren't just passively taking in movies and shows and especially games, but any type of media, we are creating stories in our own minds of these characters' lives and their relationships. And we are kind of filling in the blanks. And afterward, when we're shipping them in our imagination. Well, yes, exactly. Yeah. That's like the ultimate emergent narrative. Yeah. When you start writing erotic fan fiction. Yes. (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, it is kind of a thing that we get to do all the time. But in a game like Monster Prom or in video games and board games in general, you get a lot of these opportunities to tell stories 
that are very much exclusive to your experience of that piece of media. So I just wanted to touch briefly back on um, our discussion of imaginal spaces and cultural norms. So when I was talking about like using that space and it's often used in fantasy to play around with different cultural norms and um, subvert them or just imagine new ways of being. It's not like it just ends there and that's where it stays, just in the realm of fantasy or imagination. And I don't want to downgrade those far from it, but I just want to say that, you know, as we understand, art imitates life and life imitates art. So when you see new ways of being being portrayed in media of any type it can encourage you to experiment on your own with identity or other ways of being and living in the world and um like kind of communicate that to others and so that's how life can imitate art (laughs) so yeah i personally have an experience with that oh nice yeah are you gonna share Um, it with our listeners sure nice I um, have been going on like a gender escapade. Gender hijinks. (laughs) Trying to figure out what my identity is because for so long uh, that part of me was kind of repressed. And I just never felt like the identity of woman fit, but I just described how I felt and didn't really have the words for it. Um, and for a while after I had a human sexuality class as part of my anthropological studies. Damn anthropology. (laughs) In college, um, I was like, oh, there's all these other designations. And that's where I learned a lot of these terms. And that's when I started to say I was questioning and I would keep describing how I felt like sometimes I feel like I could be a man or a woman or none of it i'm just a human or why do we have these fucking labels yeah or i'm neutral or whatever and like most of the time i just feel like a human and i don't understand why people have to pigeonhole me into anything and so i just describe that and then you're not a pigeon (laughs) eventually uh i stumbled upon this term of gender fluid and reading the description of it i was like I was shocked and in awe and just elated and like, this is, the definition is almost exactly what I try to describe to people all the time. (laughs) And um, my identity has kind of evolved from there. It's obviously a trans identity, so I identify in that way. And um, also non-binary in a general sense. And they're all distinct, but I kind of have them all in my head is like layers of my identity. Right. <laughs> you can't like, I just want it to be clear that you can't like always equate these different forms of identity. They're not just stand-ins for one another. But they're Right, just, everyone experiences it differently. They're part of my onion layers of I- gender identity. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Personally. The gender onion. Yes. 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 Finally, the gender onion. And I just started to actually quite recently in the last few weeks be able to understand that i could identify in multiple ways i would i had some angst for a, quite a while of like oh but i feel this way sometimes in this way and like 
do I have to choose and like looking at different flags and like, oh, but, right. uh, yeah. how do I choose which flag? Cause I feel like I could have both. And, like, <laughs> <laughs> finally just and understanding you like you can't be wrong about identity because <laughs> it's a subjective experience. It's true. The labels are just supposed to help you communicate how you feel. Yeah. 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 They should, they shouldn't cause you more anxiety, but because of the way that society puts a premium on the binary. The binary and labeling things, right? right? Like, right. people want to know... For some reason, people will get obsessed about, like, the sexuality of their favorite performers and stuff. And, like, there's ways that it can be not toxic, and there's ways that it can be toxic, right? I don't think anyone should be, like, prying into the private lives of other people just yeah. that don't really want to share them. Yeah, because... For one. What we're talking about here is gender identity, but there's also other layers of like gender expression, sexuality, yeah. uh, pronouns, which don't always match a gender of any type yeah. and can run a very wide gamut um, and is even more subjective. And, and I mean, there's many more layers of identity. Yeah. And, you know, as an anthropologist and like having gone through the training I've gone through, it seems to me to just be common sense to identify people the way that they want to be identified, especially knowing that across cultures there have been many other concepts of gender beyond just like male and female or man and woman, right? Like, yeah. First off, what it means to be a man or a woman, even in binary cultures, is very different cross-culturally. It's true. If you start describing what it means to be a man or a woman, a lot of people will disagree because I hear in those discussions like, well, you're just stereotyping. Not all men or women are like that. It's like, you're right. Yeah, precisely. <laughs> you're exactly right. Thank you for proving my point, person who is unintentionally proving my point. Yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, I mean, my prescription for this is if somebody would like to use different pronouns or identify differently. Hey, let him fucking do it. Why are you giving him a hard time? Why be a dick about it? Yeah. I mean, if it'll just, if it's not harming anyone else and it'll make them happy, I don't see the harm in it. Yeah. There's this big fucking pushback against varying identity. And I'm like, don't be lazy. It's yeah. really easy to use the pronouns if people want. And yes, it's absolutely political. Everything is fucking political. So anytime somebody's like, oh, they're just trying to politicize this and like including their pronouns, it's like, yeah, everything's fucking political, dude. Live with it. Every aspect of our lives is political. And if you think something you're doing is not political, it's because it's normative to you. Thank you. Yes. I think a big part of the pronoun thing for people who are slow to the change is that it's new and they're just inherently resistant to new things. Sure. Whereas... A lot of us who accept it quickly are more looking for ways to find commonalities with the new changes. Yeah. It's just a big perspective thing. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And the way it gets publicized in a lot of media and the way that a lot of news and we'll say talking heads and commenters talk about it, they make it seem like it's this big fucking deal. Like it's going to undermine the fabric of society. And you know what? If the fabric of society is so flimsy that that's all it takes to undermine it, maybe we need to uh, re 
thread that tapestry. It's true. I also love that part of your education on this came from a human sexuality class. That just boggled my mind a little bit because it implies that the school also teaches animal sexuality (laughs) or alien sexuality. It's really, um, it was like a cross-sectional course that was a course that fulfilled a requirement for like four or five different departments. Right. It was like a social science yeah, class. but we also learned biology, so it was like biology, anthropology, sociology, psychology, and one other So one. many ologies. <laughs> it's just like, if you just called it sexuality, people would assume it was human, right? Probably. <laughs> Someone's just like, finally, my tentacle m- waifu. I can learn about her in this class. <laughs> I mean, I'm pretty sure in Chelsea's class, uh, they did learn about some of that stuff. Hell yeah. Didn't you guys, like, didn't your teacher show some hentai porn and stuff? Hell yeah. Yeah, she was a uh, sexologist, so very open about anything. Yeah. And a lot of our discussion was about culture, so. Nice. And porn is part of culture. Yeah, crazy that, right? Mm-hmm. It's almost as if porn is one of the things that human beings always create with any media, even going back to the beginning of human history. When you held up two rocks to your chest as boobs. Exactly. <laughs> oh, man. Caveman penis jokes? Classic. <laughs> my my joke was more on par with far, a Farside comic than actual reality, just so we're clear. <laughs> I mean, I feel like Farside comics are often... Very close to reality. Okay. But uh, one thing I just wanted to mention to kind of complete my narrative was that recently I finished a comic called Gender Queer in which the author writes about their own experience of figuring out their gender identity and they go back all the way to childhood and through college and figuring everything out. And um, their long process with that that took many years. Right. Because we all have intersecting identities. And if you have a more complicated gender identity, it can be really hard to suss out. Sussing can be sus. Because it's a spectrum. So you can have like really complex confluence of identities all merging together. And that can just make it more confusing and just kind of take more time to figure out. And reading through their experiences or Zier's experiences helped me kind of think about my own and it kind of reinvigorated my own exploration of my identity. And I started to kind of have a mini renaissance about that personally. Yeah. Even though I'm kind of old to be doing that. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, you can change yourself at any point in your life until you're dead. And even then you start to change. I'm becoming more comfortable with that idea. Yeah, it's never too late to start questioning this sort of thing. Yeah. And uh, it's okay to do it at like a later age because the education about this sort of stuff is only becoming more popularized these days. If any time later in life is a perfect time to start to re-examine your long-held beliefs. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of narrative about how, like, oh, well, when you get to a certain age, you're just set in your ways. And that's never really sat well with me. No. 
Like, no, when you're older, you should really be like, huh, maybe the things I learned when I was younger were stupid. I'm only 39 and I do this all the time where I'm like, oh no, like we learned certain things in like middle school. I'm like, that shit was dumb and wrong. Like yeah. there's so much better research now. What the fuck? And something about this game that I really appreciated, like if you actually end up going to class. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, there's which, all these... which is only like one option of seven. Yeah. There's all these jokes um, that they reword in different ways about how like, oh, you were surprised and amazed to learn something in class today. (laughs) That's so funny. You never thought you could actually learn something at this school and stuff like that. Well, within my own lifetime, I've seen such a huge change in the queer movement. Like when I was younger, I remember we started only really learning about like trans people and gender identity in senior year of high school. Right. And we basically didn't in 2000 and 2001 yeah yeah i remember the first time it really became apparent to me was in this social sciences class we had yeah a trans man named jack came in and i was just like oh yeah and we were just chatting (laughs) around for a bit and i was just like yeah okay i don't really understand the trans thing yet but cool (laughs) yeah 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 yeah. but honestly that's a pretty good like opening But back then, I do remember that was when, like, attack helicopter jokes were popularized. And I definitely thought those were funny and made those because I didn't understand. Sure. I wasn't educated. And uh, also, that was still at a time where, like, bisexuality was entering the discussion. And people were like, I don't think it exists, right? (laughs) Now it's just like, why did we ever think that? (laughs) Why? I'm beginning to wonder why we ever thought that straightness was a thing. But hey. Being, <laughs> yeah. being completely straight or completely gay is actually pretty rare. Yeah. I'm like, it is funny that one of the like core ideas about a lot of like so-called straight dudes is like they're into lesbians, right? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, so you're already kind of like if if that doesn't kind of quirk your sensibility of like what does straightness really mean then i think you're not paying close enough attention which is fine everyone can go on their own journey at their own pace yes but i think really delving into and understanding what these terms really mean is going to be one of the more important things of our generation's uh, to kind of suss out. Yeah. You know what's funny about that straight guys liking lesbian pornography is? <laughs> what's that? Is that there's, I've I've seen a, a good number of lesbians that are into gay men pornography. <laughs> sure. Just like, it just works. It just works. Like, yeah. well, you know, whatever you think, you know, whatever works for you. Personally, I'm into all of it. It's just, <laughs> that's great. Enjoy what you like, yeah. you know? I'm going to tell a quick funny story. I think it's a funny story that actually happened to me in high school. So it feels like kind of the great cap for the discussion of this game. We were in our social science, like sex ed segment in high school, yeah. probably my junior year or whatever. And I went to a what is academically considered a pretty good high school. So we had like a pretty open human sexuality segment in our sex ed class where we actually got into like some pretty 
deep discussions and learn a lot more, I think, than maybe other public schools get, unfortunately. Um, I wish that public schools always had the depth of sex ed that I got because yeah. we at least learned basic biology and like stuff like, hey, condoms for STDs and stuff to prevent them. Anyways, so I was in this high school sex ed class and we did the thing where the, you know, very normative, right? The boys and the girls sat on opposite sides of the room and mm-hmm. everyone, as far as I know, sat where culture had put them. Right. And asked each other questions. And of course, there was the edgy, silly, whatever. But one of the questions that <laughs> the girls, the young women, asked us, the boys, because I was on the boys' side, was, why do guys like lesbians so much? They have no interest in you. <laughs> and I'm like, that's a good question. I, I took the reins for the guys. I said I would stand up and answer this one for them. I said, it's because... Guys like to look at naked women, right? So if they can look at two or three or ten naked women all at the same time, they're going to want that. That stonks right there. (laughs) (laughs) Supply and demand. (laughs) I believe that everyone kind of accepted that as a viable answer, and I'm sure there's more to it, but that was just a funny experience that I had that was in high school, so monster prom. (laughs) I put that bow on it. Yes. Anyways, at this point, we should probably head into the smithy. Welcome to the smithy, where we each forge a rating for this game after we share an epic moment or feature from the narrative. Jack, do you want to tell us your epic moment or feature and then give us a rating from 1 to 10 questionably procured corpses yes so for my epic moment i think it's gonna have to be from chelsea's playthrough okay uh in both the first game and the second game which we did not play here today damien has always stood out as one of the hypest characters to me yeah an incredibly angry impulsive demon boy man even (laughs) who's hard to pin down it's true he is the sheer chaotic evil force and he's just wonderful (laughs) and uh it's gotta be the scene chelsea mentioned where your character was in the library just doing their thing (laughs) and it's like damien is so angry he could even yell at a banana which he is currently doing in the library (laughs) the narrator in this game is amazing yes and it's just him yelling at it screaming at it right you think you're better than me yeah exactly you think you got more potassium than me i've got more potassium in my entire body than yeah and then you walked over and ate it because you were bold you're really bold yeah and we were like yeah that's so smart because he hates the banana So you're going to eat it, but then that's also bold because you're stepping in on his fight, (laughs) taking out his opponent for him. Yeah. And uh, he ended up being bamboozled and then getting roasted for arguing with a banana. (laughs) And everyone was like, yeah, but you're hype because you've got more bite than bark. But apparently Damien doesn't, right? Right. Damien is like, no, not again. <laughs> like this has happened before. That did feel like one of the peak moments of good high school writing of like somebody thinks they're doing something so cool or so helpful. And it is just not. 
And it ends up like just getting somebody bullied terribly and then you feel guilty. Yeah, it just blows up in your face. It paid off. Yeah. It did pay off. But that situation was just the most unreality. Yeah. And uh, I, I'm here for it. I love I remember it. when I chose to eat the banana, you were both like, what is happening? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Like, that is bold. That is just the most bold thing you could do. And I, I love that. I yeah. love that so much. Uh, more people could use a high bold stand. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And uh, so I think that was just wonderful. And I love this game. This game is fantastic. I know in the second one, the decisions are a lot less clear on what will please your crush because they are both completely abstract, unhinged choices. Either of which could seem like good options, but neither clearly are. But I'm pretty good at that game, and I'm pretty good at this one. Yeah. Something about the wavelength of mentality I just vibe with. I'm like, nice. well, clearly this is the choice. Yeah. It's the right kind of unhinged for your mind. You have to unlogic, right? Yeah. And I think that's just wonderful. I think the game is so dang fun. It is great queer representation. Yeah. And uh yeah, it is. And it doesn't make a big deal about it. It just does. Yeah, just don't let anything in this game be uh, a role model for you. <laughs> except for the queer representation. Except for that. And the open relationship status. Yeah, yeah. Or not status. <laughs> I was going to say it's still very much about uh monogamy it seems like to some extent. Mhm. Depends on what ending you get. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah. I was wondering if there were some poly endings with poly, but you know. <laughs> Yeah, you would think so. I know that I've seen at least two endings that are a group thing. Oh, so, great. Okay. Yeah, yeah. They exist. But uh, all in all, I like this a lot. I think it's a fantastic piece of media. Uh, I definitely have a slight leaning toward the second one because in the they they learned what worked for them in the this sure. first one. This was the number one. And they're getting more games that are spawning off of this. So, so Jack's saying he likes number two. Yes. I'm going to probably give this game nine out of ten. Nice. No, I'm giving it ten out of ten. Booyah. Which is what it deserves. I have a preference for the next one, but this is really just flawless. There are no complaints I have with this game. Nice. Very nice. You're just saying they improved. They and improved. The next one's an 11 out of ten. That's right. You see, it turns up one higher. Right. So, fantastic. Why, why don't you just make 10 higher and go to 10? What? No. No, I can't do that. Okay. This one goes up to 11. Right. So, uh, anyway, it's so fun. I would recommend it to anybody. <laughs> yeah. All right. Grandma, play Monster Prom. She'd like it. <laughs> <laughs> so, there it is. All right, Chelsea, how about you? What's your epic moment or feature and then your rating from one to 10 questionably procured corpses? Thank you for repeating our rating system because I forgot it. I always do. My epic moment has to be when I continued to choose the bold move. Yes. And I just asked Damien to be my date to the prom, even though I was worried that he hated me. <laughs> well, he yelled that he hated you and wanted to kill you, so that's a pretty good indication. <laughs> but I was like, no, 
I'm going to have faith in the earlier relationship that we built up and the fire in his eyes for me that the game said he had. Yeah. <laughs> and it turns out that to Damien, fighting is the prelude to sex. <laughs> 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 and that he did like me and that was the only way he knew how to get down with me so the epic moment poor is damien and his limiting masculinity me asking him and him just agreeing that we had a date i was like oh my god <laughs> yes yeah. verbal technicality law this fucking paid off i was so worried and I went from devastation to elation in that moment. And that, yes. that was an epic moment to me. Yeah, it was. So, yeah, I agree with what Jack said about all this, like the queer representation and options for identity building. And just like the replayability of the game is really great because there are so many different interactions you can have, like over a thousand different events. You can replay over and over again. You can do solo or up to four players. And you're going to see even more variation as you go. And it's fun. It's just fucking fun yeah. to play. And <laughs> we played kind of co-op as much as we could. And uh, we enjoyed that. So that was a lot of fun. So I'm going to give it 10 out of 10 questionable corpses that you're carting around as well. Sorry, I forgot already. Questionably procured or obtained corpses. Okay. I'm going to yes. forget again. Um, so yeah, 10 out of 10 of those. Very nice. <laughs> it's just a room full of corpses at this point. <laughs> but Jamie, what's your epic moment or feature and your rating out of 1 to 10 questionably obtained corpses that you're dragging around? Yeah, let us in on your opinions. I will. Thank you for asking, guys. My epic feature is the multiplayer mode of this game. At first, I was not interested in playing multiplayer because I thought it was a competitive game. And like I said, it kind of is, but it also kind of isn't. So listeners may or may not know, I am a avowed co-op game player. Co-op games, my favorite thing in the world. I love playing games where you work together with your friends yeah. towards common goals, whether it's like board games like Spirit Island and Gloomhaven, Video games like Borderlands or Streets of Rage. I love co-op games. And this game has like an element where you could kind of compete for the same person. But none of us chose to do that. And actually, we had opportunities to, like I said, knock down one of the other players or build them up with their love interest. And I, there was no way I wasn't going to talk up my buds because I wanted you guys to get your dates too. It wasn't in fringing on me in any way i had no reason to sow chaos in your lives it was already a world full of chaos love could be the constant yeah and like i said there are some things where like oh i was a little bummed that like my crush got blocked because you guys got to make your pick before me but the mode where you choose who gets to go first in the round by stating a name or a food or a person and then having the game kind of quiz you about like, you know, wh which person would be, like, the most likely member of a cult or whatever. Like, it was just so fun. I didn't mind getting, like, second or third choice because one of you guys came up with something that just randomly was funnier for that situation. Yeah. So I was really happy that even though this is a game with kind of a competitive multiplayer element, it can also just be a group of buds having a good time. 
reading fun stories and doing character voices and just having a great time playing. So that's my epic feature. Multiplayer in a dating sim. Wow. As far as my rating, I also got to give this game 10 out of 10 questionably obtained corpses. It is a blast. It is hilarious. It is so funny and incisive and captures a genre of film that I love so much with like 80s teen romance and horror mashes them together in such a brilliant way while also having these great narrative moments and these awesome experiences that you can have in the game. It's just really a complete, fun, and beautifully crafted package. Really enjoyed playing with you guys, and I'm really looking forward to seeing more of the thousands of potential interactions because I was laughing out loud so many times while playing. It was an absolute blast. Nice. Uh, All of us, too. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it ruled. So that's what I have to say about it. And on that note, we'd like to thank you all for joining us here for another episode of Swords and Satire and for joining us during Pride Month when we're going to try to talk about at least one more LGBTQ plus film that our patrons will be deciding on for us. That's right. And I just want to say thank you for joining us uh, for the special Pride episode. And love is love. Love is love. Well, then, I guess until next time... Hail Hail love. love!